Welcome to episode 201 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today is edition number 105 of Bubba and the Batflip. Um, We are going to be covering our shortstop position review from 2021 with an eye forward toward our 2022 drafts. Um, should be fun. Just want to apologize at the onset. Uh, I had a little issue with uh, the cord that plugs my Yeti microphone um, into the computer breaking, so I need to order a new one. So the audio quality on this episode, on my end at least, Bubba will be his usual brilliant self, but I think my audio quality probably isn't as good. So apologies for that. But as usual, if you do enjoy the podcast, despite the questionable audio this week, please do uh, leave a rating uh, and review on iTunes. Always appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. You can find Bub on Twitter at BDNTrek. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub and the BatFlip, episode 105 continuing our trip around the diamond reviewing the 2021 season with a 2022 look ahead twist as always um we're going to the shortstop position today so super deep talked about a lot of these guys last week so we'll kind of maybe add on some other positional players to talk about at the end of the shortstop position this evening but before we get to that you can find me on twitter at bdentric and my co-host as always on twitter at batflip crazy toby how we doing man doing well bubba um december is a busy month in our household we've got two kids birthdays my wife's birthday Christmas, Hanukkah, we got like the whole thing happening in December. So it's kind of a busy time, but um, it's an exciting time. And I love the holidays. Those are fun things. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of good food. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I saw you're you're making some nice cookies. How those, they turned out good. The cookies turned out great. I mean, when you put like a whole large bag of peppermint bark in a cookie recipe that also includes like one and a half cups of sugar and two sticks of butter. Like, yeah, it's hard to mess that up, but it was good. It was good. That's my favorite cookie cookie combo to make is kind of these like peppermint, like peppermint chocolate, peppermint bark cookies. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah, they, they recipe, pretty... Just hit me up. I'm happy to share it. <laughs> they look pretty, pretty good. That's for darn sure. So mm-hmm. I'll have to, I'll have to check those out down the line here, but um, you still holding off on drafts. I take it. Yeah, no drafts yet. I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do. I'm like, uh, part of me is like, I might just wait until drafts. I might, I mean, I might just wait until like February, March before I start. Um, I was initially thinking of hopping into some like in the new year. That's kind of been my target date, but I'm not really feeling like particularly compelled to do it, honestly. Um, you know, I know there's always like some edge a little bit if you jump in early, but I also find, like I mentioned before that I do better in draft champions leagues that are closer to the season. And so, you know, and, and so I think I do maybe a little bit better with that certainty. And yeah, no, it makes sense. Like I'm just doing like 150 at a time. I'll do some fan tracks, little best balls here pretty soon, but just to kind of get a feel for things, I'm not going I'm saving the big boys for later. I'm not going into those anytime soon. Uh, more power to the guys that are doing it. Some of these boys like Fish and Waxman are just balls of the wall, crazy, uh, going having some fun. So we'll see how that turns out. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. But we'll uh, we'll talk about more of that in the new year. Looking forward to seeing where your drafts go because it's it's a different world out there as we talked about before. Just even in the one draft you've you've done so far, you notice it's a little different than years past. So looking forward to seeing what you come up with when you get a full draft going your way. Um, let's talk shortstops. Let's have some fun with this. It's a always a deep position. Again, everybody that's paying attention at home, Rasball Player Raider, we're using the 15-team Yahoo, just going over dollars earned, basically. The top dollar earners at the shortstop position, which uh, deep, deep, deep. And we talked about second base last week. A lot of guys will share positions uh, at second base and shortstop. 
So something to keep in mind here. But one guy that does not share second base, he led the way this past season. And it's another um, it's another another Blue Jay to, to the surprise of nobody, because as we talked about, I think in the first podcast, there's like five or six Blue Jays that, that are way up there this year. And Bo Bichette leads the way at shortstop, earning over $54, $54.30, uh, which is insane. Absolutely insane. But he was awesome. You look at his overall numbers this year, 29 home runs, 25 stolen bases, 121 runs scored, 102 RBIs, 298 average. The dude's amazing. He's young, still going to be good. And this is why he's going in the top three or four in drafts right now. So I don't have a lot to say besides Bo is freaking awesome. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's another guy where last year I was like, you know, these are the things that I that I find super interesting. You know, I was I've been off of him. You know, he actually was hugely helpful when I finished um, ninth, I think, in the overall, like three two years ago or three years ago, whenever that was, twenty nineteen. He was a key part of my success in the second half of the season when he came up. He was huge for me, but I just haven't been able to buy in since then. And there wasn't like a particularly good reason, you know, it's like, oh, well, he got caught stealing a bunch of times or, you know, he got injured or we haven't seen it for a full season. And I was, you know, horrendously wrong as, as usual. Um, the one thing I'll say about Bichette, I mean, I love the entire profile. Everything is, is awesome. Everything is great. Everything is beautiful. Honestly, I think there's actually room for growth a little bit. Mm -hmm. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, he hit the 29 home runs last year, despite having, um, a career high ground ball rate at 49.1%, which is, you know, if you include that number, his career is at 47%, obviously two shortened seasons, but he was around like 42% when you combine the two previous seasons. So a big jump in the ground ball rate, you know, nothing was like too out of whack in terms of the home run per fly ball. He had 50 barrels compared to the 29 home runs that he hit. The max exit below at 115.5 was by far, by far, you know, his highest and is an elite number. Just everything checks out in the profile. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Bo Bichette, got to love yeah, it. He is a beautiful thing. That is for darn sure. And I agree. I think there's more to him. As long as he can keep stealing you 20 plus bases, I think there's even more, like more power to come. The average should be pretty good. There's a lot to love with Bichette in that lineup and on that team. So really, really good stuff there. Uh, we talked about Trey Turner last week. He was number two on this list because um, he's second base and shortstop eligible. Uh, he's $54, just barely shy of Bichette. We talked about Trey's the number one kind of overall, as we talked about it. If you're not going pitcher, really good reasons to take him number one for sure. There's a reason why Bichette's going shortly thereafter. It all translates. But the number third shortstop off the board, we did not talk about him last week because he's shortstop outfield eligible. I don't know if I'll have outfield eligible in FBC, though. It should be just shortstop only. And that's Fernando Tatis Jr., 42 homers, 25 stolen bags, hit 282, Missed a lot of time with the shoulder injury. Only played in 130 games, and he still put those numbers up in 546 plate appearances, which is probably even crazier to think about. Those are the numbers he came out came away with. Shoulder injury still a concern. That's a, a big conversation uh, going forward. I've 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 avoided him this year. It's one of those I'm I'm good with taking the L if he stays healthy. It's just there's so much risk in 162 games. But I can't deny how good he was last year. He proved me so wrong because I thought after the first one, I think I was either recording with you or somebody, I watched it live. And I was like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. He looked like he was in so much pain. And he proved me wrong. So he's awesome. I hope for the game he gets to play all year because he's just fun for the game of baseball. But, um, yeah, $50, $350-plus shortstops. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, he actually nips outfield eligibility in NFBC. Okay. He got 20 games in right field. Um, 20 games in the outfield. So, well, actually, I guess 27 because he had seven games in center field. So he is dual position eligible. And that's not, I mean, that's huge, actually, like for this year, especially with outfield the way that it is. I think it gives him a lot of value. Uh, I know there's a lot of concern. I mean, the major, like the only thing we can really poke a hole in is the is the injury concern, as you mentioned hey, Toby. before. Toby, yeah. check your mic. You're, we, I can barely hear you. You can barely hear me? Yeah. Should I just get down here? Do you hear me better like this? It doesn't help at all, no. It's not helping at all? No. Oh, my God. All right. We're going to check it out. We're going to – we're going – we're going um, – you um, – let's see. Does this help at all? 
Is that better? Is this better at all? It's gotten quieter. Now you're now you're now you're mute. Is this better? No. It's still not okay. Let me check. Let me try one thing here. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing. So for those of you who are curious, what's happening with my audio is my um my my mic, my Yeti mic, the little cord thing that sticks in broke. So it's not working. So now I'm stuck with this. Um, hmm. It's still really low, huh? Yeah. If I go like this, is that better? A little bit, yeah. It's you can hear louder, yeah. It's a little bit better. Okay. A little bit, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna yell. I just took out my earbuds, people, so you guys are getting like the full sound. Like no, I'm in a room. That, it's, it's gotten quiet again. It's gotten quiet again. Yeah. Um. Man. All right. Well, you still can. It's quiet, but we could do it if we need to. Okay. Let me let me try. It. Let me just see if maybe the Yeti randomly works. Hold on one second. All right, everybody. This is exciting stuff, guys. <laughs> this is like what you tune in for, right? It'll be worth it. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be worth it to have it all locked and loaded. Oh, man. I really wish that um, the Yeti mic people made like a better insert thing. Yeah, it's meant to bend, basically. Yeah, it's like it ends up bending. Yeah, I'm not getting it on that. I'm not getting it on that. Um, trying to think what am I doing? All right, so the, the difference the between headphones? what's that? Can you use the mic on your headphones? Let me, let me check it out. That was in there, it's still really low, right? Yeah. Still really low. All right. Um, testing one, testing one. Super low. Testing two, testing two. Testing four, testing four. Where is the mic on this thing? Is that better? If I talk into the side of it here? Yeah. It is, right? It's over this way? It's that thing on the side, yeah. Okay. Here. Okay. So I'll talk and I'll talk over like this. I'll be like this for the whole time. It won't be for much of a live stream, but it'll be good. This is better? A little bit, yeah. It's still pretty quiet, but it's better. Okay. So I'm going to get really close, get tight and close. I'm trying to get this cord by the next show. I apologize. I don't think there's any quibbles about like anything in the profile, obviously. I think the biggest um, thing is the injury concern. And there was actually a great segment on the Launch Angle pod where Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver kind of went over like kind of the debate over the injury concern for Tatis. And I kind of find myself in the camp like of not being too, not being overly concerned about it just because he had the full season last year where he was injured. Right. And theoretically, like it's not going to, it's not going to have gotten worse than it was last year. And he was still able to play through it and be very good. It's very clear that he doesn't want to have surgery. And so barring like a greater setback than he has had before or some just other, just random injury. Um, I, I'm not too concerned about it. So he'd definitely still be on my target. 
list uh, early on in the first round here. Yeah, he's 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 good. There's no doubt about that. It's uh, it's just do you want to take the injury risk? That's the million dollar question with Tati. So we'll see what happens with him. We talked about Marcus Simeon last week. He's number four on this list. Forty eight dollars, nearly five guys of fifty dollars or more. So that was really close. But uh, next on the list, I'll let you decide. Do we want to talk Machado this week or next week? Um, let's talk. Let's talk about third base is pretty brutal. So yeah, let's, talk let's save him for next base. week. So he's technically number five. Um, so we'll go to the next guy here, Jorge Polanco. He just missed the cut. We didn't talk about him a ton last week. We talked a little bit about him last week. He's number six at th- at thirty four dollars. Do you have anything else to add about Jorge Polanco? Like I said, a lot of crossover on this list. Uh, not really. Um, I think the biggest thing for Polanco is just like last year seemed to be a career year where everything went well. And I don't, I don't think we can necessarily anticipate that happening again. That said, like the cost isn't, you know, the ADP isn't as, as high as what he contributed last year, but you're still going to, I still am a little bit iffy at where he's going right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one for sure. Uh, next up, we talked a lot of Javi Baez last week, made 30 bucks last year. We know everyone likes to talk about his, you know, swing and mess and his aggressiveness and all these things that could be problems. On the flip side, the dude can continually does it with speed and power time and time again, hits for average still. Uh, so Javi Baez is seventh on the list. Eighth, we have a new shortstop to talk about. He's shortstop only, and he's from your San Francisco Giants. Brandon Crawford, eighth on the list. Nobody would have thought that going into the season. Made you over $27 this past year. And it was a big year for B. Craw. Um, 24 homers, 11 stolen bases, hit 298. A lot of this pe- people are saying is unsustainable. I agree. I get it. But he also made a concerted effort to change his batting stance, his approach to the plate. So I think there's still something to gain, maybe a, a, a middle between what we saw before, what we saw last year, which of where he's gotten drafted and everything, still a pretty good shortstop. Uh, if, you, if you miss on shortstops, he's not bad. He had a heck of a year, a really, really good year. Don't expect that in 2022, but I think he'll still be good enough type thing. Yeah. I mean, I think with Crawford, I think the way that you explained it is, is perfect. Like he's, um, I don't think he's as good as he was in the first half and he's probably not as bad as he was or not. Yeah. Like not as mediocre as he was in the second half. I think the key thing that you mentioned is that there were some significant changes that he made. Like if you look at his ground ball rate, I believe it was the lowest that it had been throughout his career. There's only one year where it was lower at around 40%. Um, he, the power, it wasn't just last year. It was actually 2020 as well. The barrel rate doubled to 9.4% in 2020. And then in 2021, it was at 11.5. So I think that's kind of a new area in terms of like where that barrel rate's going to be for the power production. Um, and then, you know, we've seen a little bit of a dip in contact. And I think you, you talked a little bit about like the change in approach that he had. And so giving up a little bit of contact to get a little bit more pop and then the stolen bases as well. You can't really count on him replicating what he did last year, but it's certainly a little bit of a bonus. Um, I'm probably not going after him where he's going at ADP. I know that's more of like a preview conversation, but um, you know, I just don't know if there's as much ceiling there, but still some interesting changes for sure for him. Yeah. I've passed on him in three or four drafts so far. It's, it's tough to go with him when there's other, it's such a deep position. It, it really is like kudos to him, but it's going to be tough to uh, pull that trigger for sure. Especially when guys like Tim Anderson, Finished ninth on the plate Raider, $27 and 40. So they tied, actually. They tied. I'll give them that much. Tim Anderson and Brandon Crawford tied. Tim Anderson, 17 homers, 18 steals, hit 309. Three straight seasons of over 300. Uh, in the last four full baseball seasons, he's had 17 or more homers. He has 15 or more stolen bases. He is continually a productive machine. And he's starting to go a little higher this year, but he's so good. And we talked about him last year. We loved Tim Anderson because he was a value last year's draft. Comes through big and toward the white. And it paid off, and he missed a lot of not a lot, but he only played 123 games. Kind of missed a lot of games. That's been his bugaboo uh, overall. Not a ton of games played each year, but when he's out there, the dude produces, and he's been very, very good. Yeah, he's been he's been really good. He's incredibly consistent. I mean, you did mention like the one thing about Anderson, he hasn't really had that completely healthy season. You know, he's got 606 plate appearances a couple times. He's gotten the 500s a couple times. So there always seems to be that one little injury. 
Um, and if you were to able to keep away from that, I mean, 2020 easy, I think, um, would be would be in the cards for him, like he last had in in 2018. Um, batting average contributor. I mean, he just contributes across the board, and he's going to be at the top of a great White Sox lineup. So I think he's really safe. You know, um, yeah. There's nothing, and I don't know if there's anything I can add to anybody's understanding of of Tim Anderson um, outside of the fact that he's consistently good and pretty much a five category contributor. Yeah, you can pretty much plug him in and kind of know what you're going to get. Just hopefully one of these years he gets a full season and he just catapults you. Like he could legit maybe put up Bo Bichette type numbers if he played a full season. Because he went 120 and 30 games, maybe he plays 155. Those numbers could be insane. So it's 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 pretty intriguing. That's why I think people are starting to finally move him up draft boards a little bit at least. Uh, the 10th shortstop off the board, Carlos Correa, $25 last year. And um, he finally had the well, contract year. 26 homers was a career high. Scored 104 runs the most of his career. 92 RBIs. Second most in his career. Walked a ton. The strikeout rate dropped tremendously. The lowest of his career since 2015. And he hit 279, one of his better batting average seasons. So all in all, he doesn't steal bags, as we know, but had a basically a career season for Carlos Correa when he picked the best time to do it in a free agent year. He's just a guy, like we talked about with Tim Anderson, Correa struggles to play games. He had a career year because he played 148 games, only the second time he's played that many games in his career. That's the concern with, with Carlos Correa, but we've always known the talent's there, so pretty solid season. Yeah, I mean, definitely a solid season. Um, the, the contact rate continued to go up, um, which is nice to see from him, as you mentioned, the K rate going down a little bit. Health is so critical to him. He also added the lo- a lower ground ball rate than his career average as well. Boost those power stats, you know, uh, best O swing of his career as well. So he was more patient at the plate. You know, whatever it was, I have a really hard time getting guys like Correa and their profile. You know, some of the stat cast numbers are great, you know, just in terms of 116.4 max exit velo, but he doesn't have the same like barrel rate. He had 42, 9.4%, you know, which doesn't, which is, which is fine, which is still strong, but not necessarily like jumping out at you um, too much. You know, maybe he ends in a little bit uh, more pow- uh, home run friendly environment, you know, wherever he ends up signing. Uh, that could certainly be beneficial to him, but still not a guy that really interests me at all in fantasy. Yeah, he's a tough one for me to jump on board with as well. I'm kind of with you there because he's also going around the, the Tim Andersons of the world and even Damsey Swanson, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Like there's other options around him that kind of, I don't know, tickle my fancy more, I guess the way it goes but uh the next guy on the list is a guy i rarely ever roster but i might get him this year because he's dropping in drafts but that's trevor story and um he still brought home almost 25 dollars last year 11th highest shortstop off on the player raider 24 home runs 20 stolen bases that's a pretty solid season 251 average average was, was lower than usual for trevor story the overall production was lower than usual especially in the power department for trevor story he's a free agent which is going to make things interesting this upcoming season but um as a whole, he he still produced good numbers. I guess it's like, did he meet value for his draft spot? Probably not. But when it comes down to Trevor Story, he's pretty good. Following drafts this year, he's more in the Tim Anderson draft class. So would you rather Trevor Story, Tim Anderson is where discussions start to become interesting. But uh, for last year uh, in general, good season, but definitely a disappointing season if you roster Trevor Story. Yeah, for sure. He just never really seemed to get going last year. Um, but still a 25, 20 season, the 251 batting average certainly impacted by, you know, a career low BABIP at, at 293, you know, compared to his career average, which is 336. But you know, we also have to consider the fact that he's not going to be playing in cores anymore and you got to take away, you know, you're going to have to take away some BABIP right there. You know, obviously like with the narrative about cores guys, you know, having inflated stats, I mean, that's somewhat the case, but at the same time, like um, they also get hurt on the road having to adjust. We know that as well. So I, I think he could be an interesting value just because you know the speed is there. You know, he's very fast, um, been a successful base dealer for a long time. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. You know, like you could see him ending up with, um, you know, the Yankees or a team like that. And in that particular case, obviously his draft price uh, skyrockets. 
Um, but there are other teams that he could sign for that it could be it could be interesting to see where he ends up. So I, I'm I'm kind of giving him a little bit of a of a mulligan for 2021, mm-hmm. even though it was good, just because it seemed like he wasn't he was never really right. Um, was always battling some injuries, and then also the motivation of just being on the Rockies and um, being dicked around a little bit, like on the, at the trade deadline. So um, yeah, I'm I'm I'm. I think tr- story is interesting as a bounce back candidate for sure. Definitely an interesting bounce back candidate. It seemed like, you know, trade deadline on, he just didn't care anymore. Just kind of like, screw it. I'm, I'm over this. I'm not going to get hurt because I'm going to go make money somewhere else type thing. Um, you mentioned the Yankees. I think the Astros are interesting because you can maybe get him cheaper than Correa and have some fun with that. He fit very nicely in the hole that they have there. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, I agree. Definite bounce back potential because the speed's going to play no matter what, as you said. It's does the power show up? Where does he go for the power to show up? That's the question, whichever story. I think you, know, you could definitely have some fun there because just picturing him both with like Altuve and Tucker and Jordan and stuff, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty fearsome grouping right there. Um, the 12th player off the player rater for the shortstop position, Xander Bogarts, a little less than $23 this past season. If you just want to talk consistency, which we have a lot at shortstop, which is great. Xander's your guy. He doesn't steal bags. Got you five steals this year. You're probably going to get five plus more often than not. But 23 more home runs. That's three straight full seasons of 23 or more. Four out of the last five full seasons of 21 or more, which is pretty darn good. He gets you 90 runs plus 80 plus RBIs more often than not. Hits 295. He's hit two, um, 273 or better every season since 2015 with a lot of 300 seasons. The dude is cons- as consistent as they come. And it's, it's always been hard for me to kind of pass on him, but it's like we talked about Brandon Lowe last week, and we've talked about some other guys, or Brandon Lowe, I mean, and other guys. Maybe we should start taking into consideration the consistency behind these players and realize it's great to pinpoint this and just write this down and not have to worry about it, go fill in things elsewhere. So I think the thing that always got me off of Bogarts was the, the no stolen bases. But if you build your team properly, what he brings you in batting average and consistency everywhere else I think is huge. The Red Sox should continue to get better. Great season from Xander. It, it's tip, typical Xander season, basically. Yeah, for sure. Um, super steady, like you mentioned. The batting average is always there, which is a re- really nice, especially because, you know, um, he's he's kind of pushing into the third round uh, or even beyond the third round, late, late third, uh, beginning of the fourth round, whereas last year, you know, he was pushing kind of that two, three turn. And there's nothing that's really changed about him at all. You know, the home run um, per fly ball rate was the lowest it's been in four years. He actually had the most barrels of his career with 41 with a 9.7% barrel rate. He had his highest max exit below since 2017. So he's not falling out there. He just didn't necessarily get the same level of production. Uh, he was He obviously missed a little bit of time, but you could easily see him coming back next year and putting up another, you know, 30 home run, 100 run, 100 RBI, five stolen base season with a really quality batting average, especially in that Red Sox lineup. So, yeah, steady as steady as she goes with with Bogarts. I think he's a really solid, um, really solid pick. The Red Sox has some, like, steady contributors. You got Bogarts, you got Devers. I'd even consider J.D. kind of consistent now like we're not going to expect the monster season but you're going to get pretty overall con- uh, contributions just they don't steal a ton that's the problem so you got you can't like take all of them probably and feel comfortable but you can build with some of them which is good we'll talk about devers next week and there's a reason why he goes so high even though he doesn't steal a ton of bases for very good reason but um it, it'll be interesting to see how, how the red sox play it out this year you, do you move duran in there and let him run and does that help bogarts and company it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, the next shortstop off the board we talked about last week, and that was Tommy Edmond. He's 13th, so we'll pass on him. We will talk Chris Taylor, though. We didn't talk about him last week, kind of hinted at him. Could talk about him in the outfield, but we'll talk about him now. He was 14th off the board, or 14th on the player raider for shortstop. Made 19 bucks, and um, just re-signed with the Dodgers, so he's going back to where things will play well for him. Played 148 games. has 140 more ga- or more games in three of the last four full seasons. Hit 20 homers. 13 steals. He was awesome. If you drafted him in fantasy, besides the flexibility he brought, he was just huge for your team. You know, it's always a concern how much is he going to play, but apparently the Dodgers obviously want him to play. So they're going to get get him in the lineup where they can. What's your thoughts on Chris Taylor? Yeah, he had a, he had a good season. I mean, Taylor two halves really he started off really hot and then was really 
hold down the stretch. The, the position eligibility is really nice for him. You know, at the same time, like I don't love, I don't necessarily love, like, especially with him not going later on in drafts this year. Um, and again, I know it's not a preview episode, but just thinking about that, like contextually, like he's just this perfect example of a guy who had kind of a full season of playing time and things kind of went his way, generally speaking, last year. And, you know, and you're paying for that. You're paying for kind of last year and what he was able to provide. And I don't think the ceiling is necessarily, you know, um, that high. Like, I think we saw the ceiling season last year with what he was able with what he was able to produce. Um, so solid all around, you know, like the only holes I'd pick a little bit with him are, you know, the contact rate is getting lower. It was down a career low 69.4%. You know, we saw that with the close to 30% strikeout rate, which you don't really want to see with a guy like his profile. I think he's best when he's kind of closer to that 25% range. Obviously, he's better with that. But, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm not as intrigued by him. Then again, you know, he did have 35 barrels, 10.2% barrel rate last year. So he continues to hit. I just think like the downside in terms of what the batting average is, you know, what the stolen bases are likely to be and, and not really having much of a ceiling in any particular category limits his, his value a little bit. Yeah. He's a tricky one. Like I love him for like DCs and stuff because of the flexibility. He's going to help you so many times and you need people to fill in for the week. But there's also the concerns like, does he play three games this week? Does he play five games this week? Those are concerns as well to Chris Taylor. So it'll be interesting to see where that plays out. But Corey Seager not coming back could be nice because that'll at least open up some playing time. Got Gavin Lux will probably play somewhere in the middle infield, but it opens up the out, it opens up a position to move around, which helps. And if Muncie misses time, like there's there's ways to, to fill it in, but a lot of ifs, a lot of ifs, that's for sure. Um, next on the play radar at 15th is Dansby Swanson, made you a little less than $19 this past year. Uh, played in 160 games most of his career at 27 home runs, 10 more than his career high, uh, stole nine bags, which is nice, hit 248, pretty much did what um, we were hoping he'd sometime do. Average is a 240 to 250 guy. Uh, the power, I think, is, you know, 20 to 25 homers, and he can still use some bags. So this is who you're going to get, I think, I think, more often than not. Could even get better. Still young and a very good Braves team. But I love what we got from Damsey Swanson last year. I had a lot of Damsey Swanson last year. Yeah, super solid. I mean, it's a really great comparison, like kind of him versus um, versus Taylor to me. I'm kind of happy that they went after one another just because it feels like Swanson, like it feels like people were really disappointed last year with what he was able to do, probably because he started off so slow. But, but at the end of the season, like when you look at what he was able to accomplish, 27 home runs, nine stolen bases, that's not nothing to, to sneeze at. You know, yes, the batting average was lower than you wanted it to be, but the Babbitt was also on the lower end, I think, of what our expectations maybe, you know, should be for a guy like him. Um, you know, he plays every day. He doesn't really hurt you in any particular spot. There's certainly upside. Like, um, you know, he was moved around a lot in the batting order last year, if I'm remembering correctly. I should probably check this out, actually. He was. I can do this. Yeah. You know, so he didn't really settle into one particular, you know, position and it's not really that that was the issue, but it was like, yeah. So he got, he hit like fifth and sixth mostly, um, which is a, which is a decent spot for him to be in. Like I would love for him to get more play at, at that fifth spot right there, because you know, they're, they're going to have Acuna. They're going to have Albies, you know, if Freeman leaves, you know, then there might be a little bit more opportunity for him to step in there. But he was rock solid. Like the batting average, again, was the one area where you're maybe a little bit disappointed in what he was able to contribute. But I still think the floor there for the batting average is pretty high. So I like Dansby. This is a really nice area of the draft. I feel like there's a lot of really nice talent around this like 120 pick. Just thinking about other positions that we've reviewed, like who are going in this area of the draft, this kind of 80 to 120 um, area. That's what always makes it tough when you're talking um, like draft strategy. Like, do I take a, a stud shortstop early? Do I wait because it's so deep? Or do I double dip? Like there's so many like scenarios that come into play. Last year I was double dipping. I got one. Of the, I tried to get one of the big guys early, and then I, I tried to walk away with Javi Baez as my middle infielder more often than not. But 
doesn't always work out that way. So uh, it's definitely I, I I don't mind leaving my draft if Swanson's my starting shortstop. Let's put it that way. I'm fine with that. Totally fine with that in a draft. There's some other guys we'll still talk about that not the end of the world either, but definitely don't mind Denzel Swanson there because I think he's could still get better as we talked about. Miles Straw, we're going to save him for the outfield because he's primarily an outfielder now, so we're going to leave that one for there. He was 16th on the play radar. A lot of that's because of his speed, 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 speed. Jake Cronenworth, we talked about, I believe, at first base. He's first base, second base, shortstop eligible. That's big. The 18th shortstop on the player radar made you a little less than 14 bucks. I think he did it all after the trade to Milwaukee. Yeah, and that sure. was Willie Adamas, who literally left Tampa Bay. Amazing things happened. He you know, played 140 games, 25 homers, five stolen bases, hit 262. We've talked about him on this show for a couple years now, Toby, where it's like we know the potentials there. We broke down his hit tools, the, in, the increases. He's only 25, he's going to be 26 next year. Like we kept saying, like this year's coming, this year's coming. It was pretty darn awesome. I'll say that much. I'm hoping it continues with, with Adamus. And again, not a preview show, but if you look at ADP, a lot of people don't think it's going to continue or just it shows how deep the position is because to me, he could still be a value if he continues at this pace or even improves next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it seems like then that narrative around him getting out of Tampa, not seeing the ball well in Tampa, and then moving to the Brewers certainly came to fruition. Uh, there's a lot to like, you know, um, he's the barrel rate at 11.4% was a career high. He had 39 barrels last year. Max exit below at 112.5, which is the highest you know, of his career as well. So again, the batted ball quality has improved. He's still only 26, even though he's been around for a little bit. So it's kind of like that nice guy who came up early, maybe didn't necessarily live up to what the expectations were of him, but um, is now kind of starting to live up to that with a change of scenery. He contributes across the board, even with the speed a little bit. It'd be interesting. So he had five stolen bases last year. I'd be interested to see, like, let's see. It feels like he's got, like, double-digit upside. Feels yeah. it. Could be he wrong. Five, he was five for nine. I wanted to see, I was curious to see how many of those came with the Brewers oh, versus the Rays. Um, I always use fan graphs, and they don't split by that. I know. I think that baseball reference does. So that may be a better place to check it out. I, but that's I'll, just one thing. I'll check it out for you. One thing to consider as well, as is the fact that he's in the NL Central, which I think, again, is going to be a fairly weak division. You know, you have the Reds who are pretty much giving up. You have the Cubs who, you know, outside of signing Marco, Marcus Stroman, I don't think are going to be very good and don't have a very good rotation. You also have the Pirates in there as well. So like you said, like based on where he's going in drafts, um, I'm kind of into it. Um, he was four for six on stolen bases with the Brewers. Okay, so four of the five came with the Brewers which is kind of encouraging. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think he's really solid. There's just a, the, the position so deep, mm-hmm. just with really solid guys all around. All right. Uh, we're going to skip Jazzy Jazz Chisholm. We talked about him a lot last week, and I think we've kind of made our statements of yes or no on him. And I know for myself it's going to be a – be interesting to see how my season ends based on jazz chisholm let's put it that way because i really big fan but i understand the the, the the problems but we'll see how that goes next up to the 20th shortstop off the board made you a little over 12 dollars, and that's nikki lopez and i think this is an intriguing one to talk about because people clown i even clown on them when they why are you playing nikki lopez instead of bobby witt what are you doing well you kind of proved me wrong he only hit two homers but he's not a power hitter 22 stolen bases hit 300 we always knew he had an average he's seen that in the minors Speed was pretty good, but I'm kind of surprised with 22. But then again, the Royals ran like crazy. Everybody runs on the Royals. The question is, he played 151 games last year. That's outstanding. He's projected to be the starting shortstop slash second baseman this year. That's what he's supposed to be. Alberto plays third or DHs or whatever. They're planning on playing Nicky Lopez, at least until Bobby Witt gets there. We'll see. Are you a – well, first off, what did you think of Nicky Lopez last year? Because I think he shocked many of us. Yeah, he definitely did. I mean, he was so, so good down the stretch there with the batting average stolen base combo. You know, it's nothing that people won't already know. The home runs are definitely an issue. But I do think that this profile, while it's not something I think I would probably go after, is more playable in today's game in terms of like the home run rate, you know, than it ha- than it would have been like even last year or the year before. I think it's it's more possible to have a guy like Lopez, especially if you maybe mix him, mix and match him with a, 
with maybe more of a power hitting shortstop or middle infielder. Um, yeah, the speed, it just seems like, um, you know, the Babbitt at 347, he's obviously quick, hits the ball on the ground a lot, but you know, 347 is pretty high for a guy that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have great batted ball quality. Um, so, you know, and, and even previous to this, he had nearly 600 plate appearance in the majors and his BABIP was under 300. So, you know, I think there's some luck there, which you can see in the steamer projection. He's not really going to give you home runs. The stolen bases also, like you mentioned, like kind of jump out, you know, even in, in, um, 2019 in 530, 540 plate appearances, he only had 10 stolen bases between AAA and the majors. In 2018, he only had 15. So really it was the most that he's had in a season since rookie ball. And again, like you mentioned, the Royals steal, but these are the types of like things where they seem like not necessarily anomalies, like they can't happen again, but maybe some of the better rates, the, some of the higher, higher, um, kind of the ceiling rates that you're going to get in these particular categories that aren't necessarily likely to happen on a regular basis each season. So I'm not really interested necessarily at this point in time, but last year he was obviously phenomenal down the stretch in, in the, the two most important categories in, in, in fantasy baseball at this point, you know, in today's game. See, I think I'm with you on everything you said. I think the thing with Nicky Lopez is what's very interesting. And again, it depends on playing time. And so if you're drafting him, you're assuming he's going to play another 150 plus games, hopefully. Um, but the thing with him is it's roster construction. And it's like you said, you pair him with a guy. Do you pair him with the, a Xander? Do you pair him with the Rafael Devers? Like where they get you all these other stats. Now he can eat the steals and kind of help you a little bit here. That's where it gets interesting. So it's, it's roster construction. And the one thing I'll say is I don't know the ADP off the top of my head, but I think I took him in my recent NFBC 50 because he's falling like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. And he gives you that second base shortstop eligibility. He was like my third or fourth middle infielder. I'm like, okay, I don't need to use him every week, but it's one of those, yeah, I'm, I'm low on steals. I'm going to put Nicky Lopez in my lineup for a couple of weeks. Let's see what happens. Um, it's interesting because he is falling, falling right now. So. We'll see if that continues on. Maybe when more news comes out of what Bobby Witt's going to do, this, that, and the other, that'll be interesting. But for now, I think he's. He, it's like, would you rather have Nicky Lopez at say whatever pick he's at? Let's just two hundred for like one eighty. One eighty. Okay. Uh, would you rather have Nicky Lopez at one eighty or like Luis Arias like three thirty? Uh, I definitely want Arias. Yeah. No, Arias of the Minnesota Twins. Oh, arise! Arise, sorry, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I'm not really into arise. It's, it's a big gap, but similar. I mean, I'd rather, I mean, at least runs. Yeah, Nikki runs. I mean, arise is pretty much empty batting average. Yeah, so it's so. kind of one of those things. Everyone's like, "Oh, let's wait on on arise and get the the multi position eligibility and this and that." It's like, okay, but you can take Nikki Lopez here and go get like a twelfth outfielder or seventh outfielder or whatever. And go 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 that angle maybe, or go get a, a speculative closer or something like that. Like I, that's the way I would look at it. That's my two cents. But that's why it's roster construction, it's learning the player pool. It's like if I take player X here, what do I get at Y? Things along those scenarios, which makes things interesting uh, as we get closer and closer to the big boy draft season. All right, we um we could go on like there's Gene Segura, there's a Med Rosario who is very good, uh, Luis Urias. I'm with you. You said you liked him. I like him a lot as well. Um, there's IKF, there's Kyle Farmer. Any of those guys stand out to you as, as interesting? Because I have one more guy I want to talk about after him. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think they're all pretty interesting. Re- Ahmed Rosario, obviously, you know, just, you know, playing every day and playing with Cleveland, you know, where they're letting him uh, steal bases is is intriguing, I think, because – you know, he's a part of their future now. I think he's cemented his role kind of as part in uh, part of their future. Uh, and he has the, he has the decent batting average. So when you think about like what Nicky Lopez is able to provide, you know, in a lot of ways, Rosario provides something fairly similar to him. Um, but I like the profile uh, a little bit more. Uh, Urias, uh, Luis Urias, you know, as long as he has a, a regular job with the Brewers, I think he can be really good. I mean, he was really good last year before the trade deadline when they added Eduardo Escobar and then he went to the and then he went to the bench. Um, I really like him a lot. And so if it looks like he's gonna be 
a starter on that Brewers team, then I think I'll be really interested in having him. And he's also got, he's still got it second base, third and shortstop eligibility for him. So you may not plug him in as your shortstop necessarily, but um, I like him a lot. Yeah. I mean, all like serviceable profiles in, in different ways. I think nothing too crazy. Yeah. And you get, you get most of these guys pretty late, like a med Rosario. I like the improvement. Still super young. A lot we can see there. Luis Urias. I'm with you hundred percent. The flexibility is amazing. The tools are great. When he played, he was really good. His playing time was the issue last year. Looks like that might be more of a consistent thing, hopefully, in 2022. But um, the guy I wanted to talk about, he's 26th on the player radar at shortstop. Made you uh, $6.50. It was a rough year for Francisco Lindor. Rough first year with the Mets. 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases, 73 runs scored, 63 RBIs. Best walk rate of his career, though, 11%. Still struck out. The most of his career, but 18.3%. Not a horrible strikeout rate. Worst of his career, though. Hit 230. It was a rough year, to say the least, for Francisco Lindor. Like, you can keep digging down into his numbers, and there was a lot of pitfalls with Francisco Lindor compared to years past. The thing is, he's going to be 28 next year, and you're getting him at a discount. We talked to Trevor Story bounce back. First off, what did you think about Lindor last year, and are you concerned about Lindor? Um... I don't know. I mean, like I'm looking at his profile, essentially, like, I think that the, where he got unlucky was with his batting average, you know, he had a 248 Babbitt, you know, which he's never been a huge high Babbitt guy, but that's the lowest he's had of his career. I don't necessarily know why that, why there, what the reason would be for that to stick. So that's going to help him out a little bit in the batting average department. I think the major challenge and one of the reasons why I didn't have any of him last year was he made a huge change in park. Like he went from one of the better left-handed hitting parks in all of baseball for home runs to one of the worst in all of baseball for home runs. Um, he also, you know, is in a situation where he went to the NL, you know, so he's hitting lead off and he's not necessarily getting, um, he hit lead off right last year or did it? Uh, yeah, most of the time. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so he's also, there's detrimental, things happening to the RBI on that thing. I think He's the challenge is, second a lot. Sorry. Second. Okay. Well, the challenge I think is like, tell me where the home run, where, where that home run, the home runs increase, you know? So he hit 20 last year. Steamer has him for projected for 30. So, so certainly they see it, you know, yeah, the plate appearances were lower. So there's a little bit of bump there, but you know, he had 30 barrels, 8.2%, which isn't far from there, but you know, two thirds of those were home runs in a, you know, in a relatively, I mean, like if you think about the NL East, you have City Field, you also have um, the Marlins Park, which is like the worst in baseball. Um, you have, you know, the Braves, which is good for lefties. You have the Nats, which is good for lefties, and the Phillies, that's pretty good for lefties. So it's a little bit like of a mixed bag there. But yeah, I mean, like I just, you know, he'd yeah, have to kind of get back to his peak power numbers was like 51 barrels. And then you see him getting to like 30, but I just don't know where that happens now that he's, you know, he's 28, but I think kind of his best power days are probably behind him at this point. So I'm not super interested, even though it's coming at a discount. The one thing I'll say is I, I, I am concerned about the power. I agree with you there. He only played 125 games last year. Usually he plays in 143, 158, 159, 158. Those are his last four full seasons. So if we get back to the 150 plus, maybe he gets closer to like 26, 27 homers. If not, creeps into 30 if things run right. I think if the if the batting average comes back to that 250 plus range, you'd imagine some of those hits are going to be home runs type scenario. Plays an extra 25 to 30 games potentially that he didn't play last year. Gets interesting at least. Gets interesting. And he's coming at the cheapest, yeah, he, I think. He I essentially becomes Dansby Swanson, I guess, then, huh? Potentially, yes. Oh, yes. darn. 27 well, then, home then runs, will... nine stolen bases for Dansby. Yeah, then it comes, in, it comes into which one um, which one plays more games. Because that, that's the same thing we said about Dansby. First time he finally played a full season, basically. Does he do it again? Yeah. Because when he does that, it's great. We, we could say that with a lot of guys, probably. Like, play a full season. Things Good things happen. We talked about it with, like, Phil Dusso. Played appearances, played appearances, played appearances. So... That's the that's the tough one. That's a tough one. But um, 
He's always been a guy that plays a lot of games with, with Lindor. Last year he didn't. Maybe he reverts back. Maybe he gets comfortable after one year. We'll see. There are a lot of what-ifs. A lot of what-ifs, but at least you're not playing the first round, maybe second round price for him anymore. So that becomes a little more intriguing. Would you rather take a chance on Trevor Story or Francisco Lindor? Uh, story. Yeah, okay. I'm with you. With you there for sure. Really not, I'd, not I'd, I'd take Dansby 75 out of 75 times. Oh, that's, yeah. that's that's the difference in their ADP. Dansby's that's going awesome. at 125 and Lindor's going at one at is that going at 50? 50. 50. I, I didn't even realize it was that high anymore. That's crazy. So, yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot of short shots we talked about. So, we're going to do some listener questions now because we have some good ones, as usual, from you awesome listeners out there. So, let's start with Ben Tate, our buddy at breaking Ben underscore T. This is going to be more tailored toward your preview show, but what are your expectations for O'Neill Cruz, the most popular name when it comes to the shortstop position in fantasy right now, Toby? Is O'Neill Cruz um, crushed it in the minors? No sugarcoat in that, just destroyed things in the minors. Um, everyone's going to quote his barrel rates and max exit wheels and everything. Power's insane. Is it sustainable in the bigs? Do you see him making a stance? Because they want to play him right out the gate, it sounds like. Yeah, are they saying that? That's the impression they're making. We'll see, obviously, as spring training and everything takes place. But like they're they've hinted basically they want him up maybe to start the year or early and just go like they want to let him run. The steamer projection is so interesting. It has yeah. him at two eighty one. Yep, which would be nuts. Um, yeah, I mean, I I can't really add anything. I think to the conversation that people are already having, which is kids just. Physically, you know, he's six, six, seven shortstop. I think we had a joke in the questions about yeah, that. I'll throw it in right now. Wake up asks, has there ever been a six, seven shortstop in the history of Earth or Mars? <laughs> Probably not, you know, but the max exit below, we've all heard it by now, like 118, I think. Dude can crush it. You know, the question will be how he adjusts to pitching. And it's a huge boomer bust pick. And do you want to spend, you know, like he'll, he'll be going much higher come draft season, right? Everybody's going to want to be on that. Um, and he also has a little bit of speed too. I mean, steamers got him for like 2014, I think. Um, so I don't know if I can really add anything onto it. I just think, yeah, I mean, I think the, the K rate is going to be the issue. Mm -hmm. You know, if he's able to make a not sufficient contact will be the big thing which Steamer expects him to be able to. I mean, the K rate is pretty low, and it's not like it's been that high in the minors, you know? And that's one thing that I always suggest people do is kind of double check, you know? Because I think narratives like around like Jazz Chisholm and stuff and how yeah. his plate appearance or his contact rate is terrible, and it's like, well, if you actually like look at it, it's that's not these guys are. that bad, right? And it's not even actually that bad. But like, you know, he had a 26.2%. 25.7, 23.4, 17.2, you know, um, last year. So he's kind of in that like mid, mid-ish 20s K percentage, which I think if he can do that in the majors, I think he should be able to contribute. But there also could be a lot of big, a lot of, a lot of big swing and miss there. I mean, there's a lot of like, not to be a scout, but like, there's a lot of like, there's long levers there. I think is what they say. So there could be some holes, but I don't know anything. So <laughs> he hits the ball 180 miles per hour, people. Yep. That's what the, that's the quote. There it is. He hits the ball hard, hit ball hard, see ball like Pedro Serrano, see ball, hit ball, hit ball hard. Um, but yeah. Like you said, I, I like how you mentioned that, that look at what they've done through the minors. He's struck out at a mid 20 clip. Like that's, that's what a lot of these guys do now. Like that's the way baseball has changed. We have to start adapting our brain to, Guys are going to hit, you know, 260, and they're going to strike out 25 to 30% of the time. That's what they're going to do. That's baseball in a nutshell nowadays, unfortunately. And if that's what he does, great. I'd be more concerned about him lasting at shortstop. That's, I mean, my bigger concern. I think the tools are great. He's got some power. He's got some speed. It's uh, playing time. When does he start up there? I think he's a great option in uh, DCs if you're willing to take a chance, because a lot of people are. He's moving up draft boards in DCs, so you have to start getting more aggressive on him. Then it becomes a conversation, is he worth the risk anymore? But... If all goes right, he's going to get a pretty decent run this year, it looks like, and will be fun to check out. Little Book of Calm, our buddy. How many which or how many slash which paid season-long redraft fantasy baseball content guides do the two of you find most helpful? I'm debating between the process, baseball forecaster, the bat, master ball, ras ball at the moment. 
but I'm open to other suggestions as well. What about you, Toby? Um, the only ones that I purchase are the baseball forecaster um, through Baseball HQ. I subscribe to that, or I get that every year. And then I also do um, the process. I get that I buy the, the the process every year. Those are the two ones that I that I get. I think, um, yeah, yeah. Those are the two ones that I get. Yeah, those are the two that I get every year. I'll throw a shameless plug out there. My third year writing on the black book. If you guys want to go get that, knock yourself out. Um, that that's on Amazon now. If you want to go order that one, but. I always do the the uh, forecast during the process. Those are the ones I do for preseason stuff. I have other subscriptions for in season, but those would be the ones I'd uh, I'd uh, say go and Toby agrees on those two as well. So definitely something to check out there. Um, do, 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 next on the agenda, Rob DiPietro. thoughts on Taylor Wall's role. Do you think he's a solid DC target? This is a fun one, Toby, because we know the potential tools with Taylor Walls. You know the speeds there. A little bit of power as well in the minors. Uh, batting average has been pretty solid in the minors. Playing time. He didn't really get it done with his chance in, with the Rays last year. They got Bruhan. They got other options there. Do you think Wall's worth a shot? Um, maybe. I mean, he's really good defensively. But I'm just trying to think. I mean, they, got, they have Wander at short. They have Brandon Lau at second. Yeah, Yandy Diaz at third. You know, G-Man at first. Three. Yeah, so they could theoretically find some playing time for him. And I could see him being like a defensive replacement type of guy. But, I mean, my concern with Walls is mostly just how weak of contact he made last year. Um, you know, like... The O swing is great. The contact rate is is really good. Um, but he had three barrels, a 2.9% barrel rate. His max exit velo is 106.4. So pretty low. He does steal like a decent amount, but you know, you look at the steamer projection, eight home runs, 12 stolen bases, and 416 plate appearances. You know, the 416 maybe seems a little high for me. Um, and again, like I know that some other people commented about Vidal Brujan. I don't think either of them are really, you know, and there's probably going to be injuries at some point in time, but I don't see either of them as like super valuable fantasy folks next year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going out of my, my way for either right now just because the Rays are going to raise. Like, could you see T Taylor Walls potentially platoon with say Yanni Diaz? Sure. You could. I still think Yanni Diaz gets more playing time than Walls. I see um, Walls being a potential defensive replacement, as you said. I think it makes a lot of sense, but are you going to roster and start a defensive replacement and hope he cuts out there for a couple of bats here and there? That's tricky. Um, it, I, I'm just, I find it hard for Walls to get enough playing time to make him useful, but we shall see. We shall see. All right, next question. Brant Chester from Baseball HQ asks. Brant's in the questions. Yep, that's a good one. Is Witt going too early inside the top 100 in DC drafts? I'm not drafting him. And I might be totally wrong because the tool is amazing. But if you guys listen long enough, I just don't take too many chances, especially early in drafts. It's just my style. Oh, man. This is always a tough question, isn't it? Um, I mean, the steamer projection is pretty good. 24 home runs, 18 stolen bases, a 267 batting average. Um, I'd have to look at like who's going around him. Um, let's, let's see, let's see what we got here. So you got like Polanco, Morton, Cattell Marte. Ah, he's probably going a little bit early for my liking. I think the major question is how much time they're going to have him in the minors for to start the year or what the situation is with, with the deal that they strike the collective bargaining agreement. Yep and whether there's incentives or for them to keep him in the minors or not. Um, I think, I don't think, uh, I think my answer is kind of telling you, telling me or to, and telling you, I guess that I, I can see it. I can see him going at pick 90. I mean, he seems really good. He's mashed at every level. He seems to have speed. 
you know, once the Royals bring him up, they're going to play him every day. They, they wouldn't be foolish enough to bring him up and not do that. He's going to steal bases for the Rays, or I mean, for the Royals, because they're the Royals. Uh, he's going to hit, he's going to hit for power because he's done that pretty much everywhere. And I think everything just kind of like, I think I haven't seen anybody say anything negative about his batted ball quality, anything like that. The strikeout rate isn't high where he's at. And he's pretty young, I think for, you know, the levels that he's playing at as well. So yeah, he's, he's 21 and he's mashing at triple a. So yeah, I could see it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a high risk, high reward type of pick. And I don't think pick 90 is the worst place in the world to do it. Would I do it? Probably not, but who knows? Like if we get closer to draft time and it's certain that he's going to be up very soon, then I could certainly see myself doing it. But at the same time, if that's happening, right, then he's going a lot pick 60, pick 70, yeah. pick 50, you know, he's probably going closer to 50, 40, 50. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, that wasn't really an answer to your question, Brant, but that's kind of like my, my, um, how I'm thinking about it. Basically, if you think he's going to start pretty early with the team, which I think he's going to, unless the, screw up the CBA thing. I think he's going to start rather early, if not opening day with them. He has nothing more to prove. It's all financial stuff. And I'm, a, I'm really, really hoping the CBA takes care of a lot of that. That's what I'm hoping for. So we'll see. But um, and if he's up that early, playing that much, like we got a Boba Shet type potential here. Like the dude's that good. So if you're getting a Boba Shet at pick 90, pretty darn good. So Boba Shet? Yeah, Boba Shet. So we got, we got a chance there. So if it's, if it's who you, if, if you think he's going to be playing a lot, then do it. If not, like Toby said, if we find out he's going to start playing a lot, that price is going to come up in a hurry. So it's all about your risk reward you want to take. The more we talk about it, I'm probably going to start grabbing him here and there. I have zero shares right now. It's just not my style, but I might start uh, seeing what happens. I feel like I want at least one piece of him somewhere just because the, the talent is pretty darn ridiculous. But playing time, always the concern. All right, another question here. This one slid into my DMs, Toby. But uh, at Rev D Bone, he asks, um, do you think there's another level for Josh Rojas? His decent minor league numbers, batting average, hasn't really translated to the major league baseball. He had a really decent run in the first half, but stumbled towards the end of the year. He was injured a lot. I like the double-digit home run stolen base projection, but I'm not sure that will be enough to earn his current ADP and NFBC 15s at 238. What do you say? Yeah, it's I'm a tough. Rojas fan, but uh, it's a lot of it's his eligibility. Pick two thirty, I think it's amazing. We are getting him. He's going to hit towards the top of the lineup in, in Arizona. I know there's still concerns, but he, he's got you doubled. Though. I think the projection's actually low on him personally. Could be totally wrong. Could be just trying to uh, talk myself into what he can do. But I think there's a lot more to him. He was he was injured a lot last year, playing with a lot of different injuries. So healthy start. He's like Cattell Marte syndrome when it comes to Arizona. So I think it is draft price. I like it a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not that into it. I don't necessarily see a super high ceiling for him. You know, he had he he hit 264 last year, but he had a 345 BABIP, you know, which you know, we don't have a long track record for him, but I don't see him as like a 345 BABIP type guy. The ground ball rate is really high, which is going to limit the power potential. So there need to be a change there. He does have good plate discipline, good contact skills, but only 17 barrels and 355 events. And I think most, most concerning is his max exit velo in on 355 bat, batted balls was 104.6. Now that's like Kevin Biggio level bad um, in terms of batted ball quality. Uh, let's actually see where where that would rank him among qualified people. Um, I'm gonna look really quickly. Um, so that's that's kind of my that would be my like, yeah, I, I don't really believe in it. Let's see. All right, 1046, Josh Rojas <laughs> among qualified hitters. Josh Rojas finished 132nd out of 132 people in terms of max exit velo, which is bad. Nikki Lopez had a higher max exit velo. Although, I mean, Mookie Betts is actually yeah, there's like, There's some numbers that will surprise you down some, there. Yeah, there's some decent players here. 
uh, pretty low here. But, you know, um, yeah, I, I can't do it. I can't, I'm not into it. I'm sorry. Right, fair enough. Fair enough. It'll be more Josh Rojas for me and more, more times for me to cry. That's what it'll come down to. Sounds so good. we'll see what happens. We can't agree on everything. That's good. But he's young. Pedigree's there. We'll see what happens. But uh, that'll wrap up our shortstop review. Um, deep, deep position. We skipped a lot of guys. We talked about them last week. We don't need to talk about them twice. Listen to their shows. Um, we'll have third base next week, which is so much fun. So, so much fun. Maybe we'll talk about more shortstops we, we missed because there's not much to talk about at third base. But uh, final thoughts, Toby, on the season that was at the shortstop position. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very deep position. Very skilled, very talented. Uh, apologies for the for the audio issues. And if my voice sounds low, I don't know if it got better, Bubba, as we continued. But thanks for sticking sticking along with us through the terrible audio. I'll try to fix that by the next show for sure. Oh, no worries at all. I got... It was good. It was good. It'll be, people will get what they need to get out of this podcast. That's the most important factor. And they know they'll come back next week for more awesome, awesome stuff. Third base position. We'll make it fun. I promise. If not, we'll talk about desserts for Christmas and all kinds of stuff. It'll be worth your while. Trust me. I know Toby's got like a long list of options. So we will, we will, we will bring up the good stuff on the bad stuff, bad position, other good topics. We got, we got you covered. That's what we do here on Bubba and the Bat Flip. So don't you worry. But until next time, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Intric. This was Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 105, your shortstop review. Catch you guys next week. That's going to wrap us up for episode 201 of BatFlip Crazy Podcast, in edition number 105 of Bubba and the BatFlip. Hope you enjoyed uh, the show. Uh, next week, we will be uh, taking, a, taking a gander over to third base, which... Um, according to most uh, folks, is the least deep position. Um, maybe, although I've heard bad things about outfield too. So that should be a lot of fun. So I hope you'll join us then. Um, thank you so much for listening as usual. I hope your winter uh, season, your holiday season is going well. Uh, best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research and drafts. Take care and be kind to one another. 